like you go up to will Patton, you're like oh man i loved you and he's like yeah i remember the titans right and you're like after hours <laughs> Welcome to episode of Cine Nation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And I'm Thomas Horton. And here on Cine Nation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them. For November, we are returning to an old topic we discussed many moons ago, back in 2018, when we first revamped the show into this kind of new genre podcast. Before before we even do our current format, remember those days when we had to do one, ep- one whole genre per episode, Thomas? Yeah, I how still do don't know that? how we pulled that off. <laughs> how did we do that? Um, so yeah, but we talked, you, you brought up at one point, uh, that we should return to the topic that we're discussing this month because it deserved a little bit more, uh, appreciation and to really dive into it. And this month we are diving into a genre that we are calling the 24 hour movie or the one crazy night movie. And if you're wondering what this genre is, don't worry. We're going to be really diving into it this month because I think, and Thomas, you'll probably agree, like this is one of our favorite, like subgenres or genres in a way yeah it's what i've always been drawn to and i'm not even after like our last episode kind of going over it i'm still not really sure why because it's there's a lot of different there's a lot of like sub sub genres within within this genre but i i don't know i love i love something with the time restraint on it you know yeah i think it i think it opens up people's creativity a little bit i agree and so when you think of these 24-hour movies these one crazy night movies like what comes to mind like what type of genre tropes or stories do you think of i think the first one that really comes to mind that was kind of my introduction to this genre is dazed and confused mm-hmm. which is this idea that it's like kind of this big f- kind of flowing cast of of characters who are kind of coming in and out and you're getting everyone's experiences over the course of one night Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, with sub sub sub, sub genres, you know, that's yeah. not exactly what all of these are with with ours today. It, it is it's a little bit more focused on one person. You still kind of get those characters coming in and out. But even Linklater took the 24 hour movie and then made it, you know, after Days of Confused, made it just like hyper focused on two people for uh, for the before movies. So and then there's there's some like one I was really torn. This was. I, I told Brandon this was probably my hardest month as far as like picking which movies I wanted to talk about because I yeah. love so many of them and there's so many different ways you could go with mm-hmm. this. But but you know something like Clue that you wouldn't think about yeah. fits into this or or Rocky Horror. Uh, this kind of like yeah unfolding sequence of events. You get a group of people together in a house and kind of let things go and and those movies don't necessarily play into the kind of like and then you've got these other f- films that are like obviously based on plays and it's like let's yeah. get everybody together in a house for one day and see how that goes so it's there's a, there's so many different ways that these movies could go but but the one that we're talking about today is one of my favorite kind of subgenres within this subgenre is that kind of like we said one crazy night like just this fall into chaos as and and the having it all happen in one sequence of events i think makes it feel so much more real but also so much more kind of fantastical in the in the way that it plays out because like you know i mean it's like living especially when you live in a big city but really not in a big city just like living in any city like at at a certain point in your in your youth or in your 20s like you're gonna have that one 
kind of night that like it feels you should or maybe maybe don't but like you can kind of relate to having that just like crazier night than what you usually like deal with yeah. Yeah. and and this is just kind of the like the nightmare version of that and specifically it's in a this in a time the movie we're talking about today is after hours by martin scorsese and like it's a specific time where it's like in the 80s where things that could solve problems like cell phones or atms or whatever or credit card like certain things like don't exist at, at this in this period credit cards exist but like it's like you mm-hmm. can't just go get money to get you out of, out of this specific city or a specific area of town and so you're just stuck and the question is what do you do to get if you're just trying to get back home and I, I think that's that's to go with this genre too. kind of talk about it's like there's a lot of these movies have very the characters have very simplistic goals mm-hmm. it's like i want to get home tonight to go to bed so i can go to work tomorrow morning that's pretty much what the goal is here in this movie and that or it's like there's some people i think of a movie called model shop by jacques Demy, where it's like the whole thing is like i think he's trying to go get his like car fixed or something or he's having he's had something at the end of the day he has to go to it's all just kind of building to that moment yeah um, i mean even something like super bad is literally just yeah like, trying we have to get to this party we have to get this party how difficult can it be to just get to this party yeah how difficult and it's like or at book smart i think of the same thing Mm -hmm. it's like it's the party or it's um or like i think of something like lock where lock is like he's just trying to drive from one place to another and every with tom hardy and everything's just coming at him on a phone call like there's just all these different things that can happen in this short period and it's interesting kind of like it's they're interesting character studies because it's 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 very much like here is a glimpse of this person's life for this brief time and we're gonna throw everything at the wall throw everything at them and that's kind of key of this film is like or key of this type of genre is you have to throw everything at them to where you're seeing them having to make all these big decisions in a short amount of time yeah it's like it's like taking the odyssey and just compressing yeah compressing (laughs) it yeah exactly And it's like so. So when diving into kind of subgenres, this there's a few that I think of. So you said we said before sunrise, before sunset, that whole that whole kind of franchise because that that I kind of consider the brief encounter like version of this genre where mm. it's the two characters meet. And sometimes like there's movies that deal with this brief encounter that are more than a day. I think another one called uh, the Clock with Judy Garland from the 40s, where it's like a 48 hour um, or like 36 hour type like day or whatever or time that they meet each other but it's this kind of like short period of like these two characters usually a a romance fall for one another in the short amount of time and it's the like something's gonna drive them apart in the end and the Mm -hmm. question that arises throughout the movie is that will they stay together will that thing that they're talking about drive them apart or will they or will 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 it drive it apart or will they stay together um and before and before sunrise and before sunset are two examples where like before sunset specifically really leaves you on that question and Mm. and handles it very well um i think another type of genre within this kind of sub or another type of subgenre within this genre is like the the 24-hour thriller movie of some kind where it's like i think of dog day afternoon where it's a heist or um even uh taking a pelham one two three also another heist or good time we've talked about where it's like a heist gone wrong mm-hmm. and he's trying to um uh go save his brother the thing is about this movie this type of movie too it's like it's been around for decades where you think of something like gary cooper and high noon 
where it's again something is going to happen at the end of the movie and all the scenes that are happening before are playing up to that so in high noon it's that uh, old guy that he put in jail is returning back to the western town and mm-hmm. he's trying to get people to help him fight him but no one wants to fight him um or it's the setup in the 1940s where it's robert ryan who's being asked to throw a fight in a boxing match and um he's choosing he's trying to decide if he should or if, if he should not because he knows what will happen if he doesn't do it so it's very it's a very as you said it's a very fun story to look at for filmmakers because of that time restraint and it creates a lot of interesting choices for them to make like you were saying it it can be this time restraint can be used as like a ticking clock like yeah in a lot of these films that you're talking about you you don't want the time to run up or the characters don't want the time to run up whereas something like after hours i think the time constraint is used as a point of reference to be like how did this all yeah. go so wrong so fast <laughs> um and I think I think another good one that's uh, that's along those lines is Bad Day at Black Rock. Yeah, just just like opens on this like quiet, quiet little town. Don't really have any problems. This stranger rolls into town and by the end of the day, everybody's killing each other. Like, um, so I, I, I do like those movies that kind of it's not that there's like this ticking clock, like we're racing towards this this time constraint. It's more like, wow, we're watching this in real time. How did this get so insane? <laughs> that's always a fun a fun film to make and as we talk about after hours we kind of see that um i know one other one you, you mentioned dazed and confused where it's like yeah you kind of have that it's all it's a good coming of age movie too where it's the day in the life of these characters mm-hmm. and you think of some like breakfast club or american graffiti dazed and confused the goonies even um even some like clerks where it's these kind of days in the life of these kind of characters that are either they're growing up or are kind of in a funk in their, in their life. And this is the day that kind of helps bring them out of it in some way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of the, the brief overview of this genre. And I I said, the thing that we're going to kind of harp on is this kind of like, there is this kind of ticking clock. There is this kind of, we're at least moving towards something. We know what the end goal is a lot of the time. And we're just, it's, it's all about the journey, not the destination in these movies. That's kind of the whole idea is that like, it's all about the journey of how these characters are going to get to where they're going uh, to either make that final big decision or just to get to their final destination. And that very much comes into play with our movie today, After Hours. And After Hours, released in 1985, uh, was directed by Martin Scorsese and stars Griffin Dunn, Rosanna Arquette. And it's about... Uh, Paul Hackett, played by Griffin Dunn, who's kind of a, a yuppie who works kind of like a an office job in New York City, and and he's just kind of has a very mundane life. And one night after meeting this this attractive woman at a at a at a restaurant because they are reading the same exact book, uh, Tropic of Cancer, Paul just gets her number, and then that night decides to call her up and go see her. And she's living down in Soho in New York, which is not where he lives. And so he decides to take a cab down to Soho to go meet her. And this is when things begin to go wrong because he loses the money that he's going to pay the cab with. And now he's kind of stuck in Soho with nowhere to go. And the date that he has kind of goes wrong. And it's kind of just these misadventures and just kind of little vignettes of meeting these people that are kind of just characters that come in and out of Paul's life. And you have other actors like, uh, Verna Bloom, uh, Linda Florentino, Terry Garr, 
John Hurd, Catherine O'Hara, Cheech and Chong popping up in it. Like <laughs> a lot of great character actors that just pop up and give you some great scenes within this movie. And it's very much this kind of, uh, and, and, the, and it's the eighties. It's in the middle of Reagan. Like Paul's kind of described as a yuppie basically. And it's, this mm-hmm. is kind of seen as a, a, someone called it a yuppie nightmare cycle is what it is, which is a subgenre of films that combine screwball comedy and film noir. And this kind of fits perfectly um, into that. And so if you haven't seen the movie before, it's currently streaming on the Criterion channel. You can rent it wherever you rent your films at. Again, directed by Martin Scorsese. Uh, the DP is Michael Ballhouse, who is who became a big collaborator of, of Martin Scorsese during his career. Um, edited by Thelma Shoemaker, who was kind of Scorsese's go-to editor pretty much ever since the 70s. So yeah, so After Hours is a film that I've I've always uh, always loved. But what is your history with the film, Thomas? Yeah, I I did not visit After Hours until I mean just a few years ago. Um, it was one that I'm sure we'll talk about it today. Is is was not like highly regarded as one of Scorsese's films until recently. There's kind of been a a push for it. And I, it, this is weird. I think this is the, I, I love these kind of movies that you see that you can pinpoint like, wow, Netflix really brought that movie back or something. And yeah, I think this, I think Criterion, the Criterion collection, the streaming channel, yeah. I think this is the first movie that I can really point to where I've talked to multiple people who have been like, I like Scorsese. I'd never seen After Hours until I saw it streaming on the Criterion collection. So, um, but yeah, so I, I maybe two years ago now, I think actually just when we did our first episode on this, I, I think was the first time I had seen that one. And um, yeah, just immediately was like, why? And I've seen this before. I, this is a genre that I love. This is it, it's right up there with me alongside. And I, I really want to do this one for this episode, but it doesn't quite fit into the rules. It's, I believe it's technically 48 hours, <laughs> but uh, Eyes Wide Shut is is this yeah. another one that's just kind of this like yeah, nightmarish similar. vision of like fantastical nightmarish vision of New York at night and um, kind of hilarious. I, I still to this day don't know <laughs> if Eyes Wide Shut is meant to be a full on comedy, but I think it's hilarious uh, and I love it for that reason. So I'm sorry if I'm making Kubrick roll over in his grave because of that. But yeah, so this is one I, yeah, as soon as you start watching it, you're like, oh my God, this is yeah. so far outside of like, you can see why people thought they didn't like it when it came out because it was so different from what Scorsese was giving them. And he is someone who, I, I, I love Scorsese's career because he is someone who seems consistent until you start to break it down. And then he's got so much variety within yeah. his his films. But yeah, I had a had a blast the first time I saw it. I've recommended it to so many people since then, and yeah, had a blast watching it again for this one. Yeah, this is kind of one. This is why I discovered at Cinephile Video in L.A. where it was like, "Oh, you should watch After Hours." I'm like, "Well, it's After Hours," and again, like, kind of because th- this is also hard to find on DVD for a while. That's the thing. That that was the big thing is like access to this movie is that it was one of the later films to be put on DVD uh, within the Scorsese kind of catalog of that era. And so it was kind of like the one of those undiscovered gems that you find when looking through Scorsese because no one really talks about, but it's a very important film in his career. And so, yeah, I've revisited a few times. Um, we watched it one night for our, our film group here, and it's just such a tense movie. 
and the way it moves it's just such a such a fast-paced film basically it's it's constantly moving and it's full of chaos and so it's one i said it's one i revisited several times and i agree with you i've heard many people be like oh when i say like we're, we're doing after hours to go oh that's on criterion channel right now and i was like oh, okay that's becoming a topic of conversation mm-hmm. um and so it's one that yeah is being kind of dis- rediscovered or discovered for some people because it's 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 such a lost film in the Scorsese catalog where like it wasn't really nominated for a lot of awards. It's not really one that has one of his big collaborators, like actor collaborators in the moment. Like oh, it's yeah. not De Niro. It's that's not, what a, I, that's what I love about this one too. Yeah. It's like, you're like, Oh wow. I forgot Catherine O'Hara had worked with Scorsese before. Like, yeah. You know, every time you watch it, you're like, wow, I forgot. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll get into more of it, but there's some of the like, most underrated character actors of the 80s just pop up in this film for just some great scenes um so yeah so what were your thoughts now kind of re-watching it uh, i guess when looking at the context that we're kind of looking at this month this is one of those movies that's so kind of off the wall in such a great way that like even though you've seen it you still kind of forget the way things are going to play out yeah you know Mm-hmm. It, it, it's it's a movie that manages to surprise you and and this time watching it you know not being as invested in the journey and the story i also got to pick up this time just how like crazy scorsese's visual style is in this and yeah I mean, he's, he's someone who's always known for a crazy visual style but like he's he's really pushing he it off. in some some parts of this yeah yes and, and and like i said before coming back to it you really get to appreciate the, the these character actors that he's populated this world with i mean from from john hurd who i'm a big fan of terry gart let's throw this out there terry gart Mer- mel brooks sydney pollock martin scorsese i mean insane career yeah great and, uh, and not 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 directed but john hughes with mr mom i think she's great oh, with mr yeah. mom mckeaton and then i mean even just like the <laughs> The like two minutes we get Will Patton in like SM <laughs> bondage gear is fantastic. He was popping up. He was weirdly, he did everything called Variety, which also was like a very similar character <laughs> in the 80s. I, ever, I, I like to play this game where like if you if you meet a celebrity and you're like, oh man, what, I love the you movie? In, and then yeah. like, what could you say that would like surprise them? Exactly. Like you go up to Will Patton, you're like, oh man, I loved you. And he's like, yeah, I remember the Titans, right? And you're like, after hours. <laughs> When you're horse, right? You're horse. And you're just like, ah, oh, it's a great scene. Just that, that scene he's standing there in like his bondage gear, like telling him that he wasn't very nice to Mark. Is this, <laughs> yeah, is this the guy? That's yeah. the guy. I think you should apologize to her. And Rosanna Arquette also just like great in this movie. Again, it's like it's such a relatable thing where it's like the first time they meet, it goes so well. Mm-hmm. And then that second time they meet, it's like, oh god, this is going so horribly oh, wrong. Yeah. Who who has not been in that situation? <laughs> Where it's like, wow, I think I could really like really connect with this person. And in his in his case, he just he wants to get laid is basically what it is. Like, oh, I have a shot here. Like but she's really cool. She's sexy. She's funny. She's intelligent. And then just like they meet a second time, and just everything that was clicking before is just not clicking anymore. So yeah, it's it, it was all it's always fun to re- revisit this film. And and this time, after watching it and then finding out more about this film, it it you you're gonna slowly realize how important this movie is in scorsese's career because it's in a period where scorsese has one of the most interesting runs 
I think of an of a director. His 80s is such a unique period because it goes from Raging Bull, King of Comedy, After Hours, Color of Money, Last Temptation of Christ, and then it goes into Goodfellas to to start the next decade. Yeah. Like the 80s just feels like this period where it's all just building to Goodfellas. He's learning, he's relearning certain things and learning new things that prompts him to be able to make that movie. And you might say it's all leading towards Last Temptation of Christ. <laughs> um, it depends on how you feel about it. But I think Goodfellas is kind of the, the like, in terms of like mainstream, but also like historical context, like that's his like magnum opus that's leading towards to, 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 to start the new decade. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so let's dive into how this movie got to production because it's a fascinating kind of story to me. I researched a lot, kind of different articles. I think The Ringer did a little one-on after hours, but the one that I kind of took a lot from was from Esquire that came out last year to honor the film's 35th anniversary. And it's how 35 years ago, After Hours saved Martin Scorsese's career. So the year was 1977, a year after Martin Scorsese's masterwork, Taxi Driver, hit the big screens. And his newest film, New York, New York, was given a mixed reception, both critically and with audiences. The new Hollywood movement with Scorsese had flourished and had come to an end after the release of St- George Lucas's Star Wars, Steven Spielberg's Jaws, and the failure of Heaven's Gate, which brought down United Artists, the studio that showcased original content from interesting filmmakers like Scorsese. New York, New York was a film that was released by United Artists, and it was a kind of a lavish musical, 70s musical um, with Liza Minnelli and Robert De Niro. Uh, and it didn't do well. And it's still considered one of kind of Scorsese's more misunderstood films, but one of his, some people think it's one of his worst films. But Taxi Driver had given Scorsese immense power in the industry, allowing for his budgets to increase and the shooting days to increase as well. While Taxi Driver was made in just a little over 40 days, Scorsese's next three films, New York, New York, Raging Bull, and The King of Comedy, all filmed for around 100 days. Once the toast of the town, Scorsese was beginning to wear out his welcome with Hollywood Studios. The release of The King of Comedy would be the straw that kind of broke the camel's back, grossing $2.5 million against a $19 million budget and receiving some of the worst reviews of Scorsese's career. Now it's considered by many as one of his best films, but at that point it was very misunderstood. And kind of also there's a lot of controversy, I think, with Scorsese that's not as talked about now post taxi driver like with all the the like uh the guy uh like it was hinkley who shot reagan or whatever that was Mm -hmm. like inspired by jodie foster and i I loved love travis bickle and so there's kind of this like people were kind of like pushing against scorsese uh and scorsese films because of like it kind of they thought promoted violence in some way in the culture so scorsese hoped to follow up this massive failure with his boldest film yet and that was an adaptation of the controversial novel, The Last Temptation of Christ. After the King of Comedy was quickly pulled by 20th Century Fox, Scorsese began prep on his dream project. He scouted locations in Israel and Morocco, and he locked down a cast that included... Do you know who the cast originally was for Last Temptation of Christ? I do not. Uh, Aiden Quinn is Jesus. Mm. Uh, Sting, okay. Sting is Pontius Pilate. I had heard that one before, yeah. And Vanity is Mary Magdalene vanity from the print from prince's kind of entourage mm-hmm. and singing group uh aiden quinn would later become willem dafoe pontius Pilate became david bowie and i think mary magdalene became barbara hershey is what, mm-hmm. is what it was 
Um, however, news of the film's upcoming production began to stir a lot of controversy. A major, a major theater chain refused to show the film it was put in production, and angry letters flooded the offices of Paramount and its parent company, Gulf, Gulf and Western, calling for the film to be shelved. Finally, Paramount got cold feet and officially backed out of the film. Scorsese recalls receiving a phone call either during Thanksgiving week or on Thanksgiving day in 1983 saying the film was being put into turnaround and would not be made at Paramount. This was four weeks out from the film's production. Sets had already been built. Feel that. <laughs> been there. Sets had already been built and the costumes were already prepared and the cast was locked. Then on New Year's Eve in 1983, Scorsese was getting ready to go out for a New Year's Eve party and he was watching Entertainment Tonight for some reason back when entertainment, entertainment press was done through television. And that was where everyone found out all the big news about Hollywood. And at the end of the program, they named the worst flop of 1983. And the film they named was The King of Comedy. Oh, man. Hearing this, along with the cancellation of The Last Temptation of Christ, Scorsese described it as a double whammy. He was 41 years old, and he had no prospects for an upcoming film. He was beginning to contemplate if he actually wanted to continue to have a career and if so, what kind of movies would he make? And would anyone care since movie screens were being bombarded by special effects driven films and sequels? <laughs> Sound familiar. Especially coming from Scorsese of all people. Uh, Scorsese, <laughs> Scorsese was looking for something to motivate him again. He apparently went off to China. Uh, he was doing a symposium of some kind with some people. And it was, it was these kind of younger, there was a, young, a lot of young film school students there. And he realized he really wanted to capture that feel again of what it was like to make movies because Hollywood had kind of really run them, put them through the ringer basically yep. with what to deal with, with how to make movies and kind of the critical reception and, and, and movie that you thought was going to be met, your dream project you've been working on for a decade is now pulled. So he began looking for scripts that would allow him to go back to his roots. But most importantly, he needed to find a movie that he can make for cheap and he can make fast. Two studio executives at Paramount that liked Scorsese sent him scripts hoping he would be able to find something they could make together at Paramount. Those two executives were Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg. Wow, those guys those guys didn't really go on to do much, did they? Not at all. <laughs> uh, but none of the scripts they sent him tickled his fancy. He didn't find anything he liked. Then Scorsese was sent a script from his lawyer and business manager, Jay Julian, that he took a liking to. The film was titled Lies. And it was a script that was written by Joseph Minion. Minion wrote the script as a class assignment for Columbia University when he was in film school. It was quickly optioned by the independent company Double Play Company run by Griffin Dunn and producer Amy Robinson. And needless to say, Minion's script received an A in his class at Columbia. While under Dunn and Robinson's label, the name of the script would later be changed to A Night in Soho. Scorsese loved the script and he felt it was something that checked all the boxes of what he was looking for in a project. There was just one problem. There was no director attached to the project. A young director who was wanting to make a night in Soho's directorial debut, and that director was Tim Burton. Oh, wow. Very different movie, but also... Yeah, an extremely different movie, yeah. <laughs> but very nightmarish as well. But also, there's I feel like there, there's... It's, it's, it's an interesting kind of journey into madness that, like... Burton does in a different way with Pee Wee's Herman Big or Pee Wee's Big Adventure mm -hmm. in a way, which is which is what ends up being his directorial debut. Well, and there, there are definitely Scorsese makes some definitely makes some German expressionist references in this movie, yes. which obviously we all know Burton's 
entire you know aesthetic is built off of so built off that yeah so yes there's there's some interesting similarities uh once burton heard that scorsese was interested in the project he gladly stepped aside to let him direct the project because i think he didn't want to he didn't want to compete with martin scorsese like burton's like i'm a first-time director there's no way they're gonna want to go with me over martin scorsese um burton had cast griffin dunn the lead because griffin dunn owned the property at that point and scorsese agreed to have griffin dunn stay in the lead the film was given a 4.5 million dollar budget about 15 million dollars less than the the king of comedy when looking back at going into the film scorsese said that i just wanted to see if i still had the energy to shoot quickly there's a certain passion that you have to make you have to have to make mean streets or taxi driver and raging bull i had to find that again he said i really felt if i don't pull this one off it's really over and i'll never make another movie again and that's how we get to after hours so <laughs> so thomas give me one of your favorite scenes in this movie oh man um so many yeah so many, so many. honestly will Patton, that <laughs> that sequence is one of my favorites because you get like he's he's left this apartment to never see marcy again he's he's mm-hmm. assumed and then he comes upon cheech and chong who he thinks has just robbed this apartment runs upstairs kiki uh lindo fiorentino is like all tied up he's like oh my god i just thwarted this kidnapping robbery yeah and then she's like i don't know what you're talking about horse and i are just getting kinky and <laughs> and then you know horse comes out in his s&m costume and is like you need to go apologize to that girl she's very upset uh which leads into him discovering that she has committed suicide yeah um you know it's it's weird to pick it's weird to pick scenes from this movie because everything's always like snowballing yeah, yeah, yeah. like i i love john hurt in this movie but <laughs> uh, you know all of all how do you pick one of the scenes they just keep going yeah. and going and going because this this turns into him going back to john hurt and then john hurt finding out that that marcy's killed herself yeah his his girlfriend um yeah i the the whole i mean i guess like everyone kind of has these little great moments and yeah you have this just like everything just like feels off everywhere Mm. griffin everywhere paul goes everything just feels off and he feels it and you feel it and you're like why are people making these weird decisions to like (laughs) screw him over they don't know him or it's like how they're acting this way yeah um that scene's great and again it's like like he really like he he goes yeah it's like he goes to 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 john the john hurd's apartment because john hurd again one of my favorite scenes is right before that is when john hurd can't get the cash register open mm, and he's just he's like kicking, kicking the kicking the hell out of it. he's like what if i get to run what if i get to run i'm gonna need to open this thing up and it's like oh, i need you to go get, go like here are my keys like go to my apartment and and just go get the keys to the cash register why on earth he would not have the keys to the cash register on him but that's the logical leap we're going to make here. Yeah. Well, and then I, I love that. the Like I said, the follow-up with John Hurd when they're just talking and the two like leather biker daddies are just like going at oh, it yeah. at the bar behind them and like are not listening to them at all until the news comes in. And then they they all have this like moment of like, oh, we're all going to get together and support John Hurd. Yeah, John Hurd. <laughs> like, oh, no. I mean, that bar is so odd because it's like who like – so many different so such different clientele with that bar yeah it's like it's it's so fun they do the same thing with club berlin it's like every time he 
goes in and it's comes different. out and goes back in it's it's completely changed it's yeah <laughs> the the atmosphere is is completely different it's like he's been gone for hours when it's been like 15 minutes yeah it's like club berlin like goes from like it's the opening of the hunger basically mm-hmm. <laughs> which is so like, like a jazz it's like a jazz club yeah it's a jazz club <laughs> and when, when, when he goes into john hurt's bar the first time it's like it's you know that like Early, early 60s music is playing yeah. Harry Gar's got that kind of beehive going you're like oh this is like this weird throwback 60s throwback bar. bar yeah and then he leaves and he comes back and it's like a, a biker daddy bar yeah and it, and it just keeps and the thing is it keeps like John Hurd keeps closing it like every 15 minutes so it's just like again like what's so crazy with this movie is like you don't really know what time you are in the film a lot of the time it's like you're just kind of like it's like you get a little bit of like time stamps like so much is happening you're just like like how is john Hurd just like they are running the bar and then everyone's kicked out lights are off within 15 minutes and then he's back mm-hmm. and he's again gone everything everyone out kicked out in 15 minutes so yeah i love yeah I, john Hurd scenes i love i love him I, again i love him at the at the um at the diner when griffin dunn shows up and they're kind of like discussing like what happened that night and you mm-hmm. think like john Hurd's on his side as the mob is going over, because there's a mob that ends up thinking like that's trying to chase down Paul because they think he's committing a bunch of robberies in the neighborhood, and and John John Hurt after hearing everything that he he describes like oh yeah like I'll go help you he walks outside the mob shows oh yeah he's in there like he just like mm-hmm. gives him away like oh that guy that guy's in there you've got to help me you've got to help me hey 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 get hold of yourself okay Bobby can you get a glass of water you got to tell him tell him it's not my fault. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. You gotta make things a little clearer to me, pal, okay? I just got back from the morgue, all right? I'm not thinking too straight either. Listen to me. There's an angry mob out there, and they want to kill me because they think I'm robbing apartments. I had the keys to your apartment. I didn't rob you, did I? I could have robbed you blind, but I didn't because I'm not a thief. I'm not a thief, right? I'm not a thief. All right. All right, stay here. Wait, where are you going? Where are you going? To get your keys. Okay. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll be right here. Just relax. I will. I will. Sorry. And I love again, it's like you just you can like basically just pinpoint when does this character pop up for the first time? And like someone I think of is Catherine O'Hara in this movie. Cause the scene she's in of just like when she's like, Oh, I'll go take you to my apartment so you can use the phone. And then she just starts like shouting out random numbers to like mm-hmm. mess him up. And it's, it's like so friendly, and then just like immediately becomes the ringling leader of this yeah. like violent mob. Yeah, Terry Gar, same thing. It's like she's the one spray like putting up signs about him after he like left her. Paul's relationship with women is not is not a not great in this movie. Once he gets to Soho, everyone's just kind of like they're just not clicking in any way, shape, or form. And I think I think something I love about this movie is that I think it would be easier to make Paul more likable yeah and i like that they don't yeah and and it almost plays out in this way that like, like i feel for him obviously like that you, you know you're you're there with him you want you want the guy to get home but it's also like i don't know the way he the way griffin dunn plays it it's it's almost like it's not like these people are all crazy it's almost and and i don't know i don't know how new york works i'm gonna <laughs> say that I've been a couple of times. I cannot wrap my head around it. And, I, and you I weren't think, there in the and you weren't there in the eighties. So. No, no, no. But I, I mean, even just like the boroughs and the, the, the how many islands are there? I, I have. I don't. I can look at a map and I don't know what you guys are talking about when you say, "Oh, I'm going from 
uh, Hell's Kitchen to Soho. Like, no idea. <laughs> and I and I get that that's probably how people feel when I talk about like, oh, you're never gonna make it from K Town to Malibu in in an hour. Like, as as someone who's lived in, in LA, LA, but um. It, it almost does feel the way that like everyone else is kind of on the same frequency yeah except for him it does make it feel like it's just like maybe if you had stayed in your if in your part of town this is just yeah. what happens when you yeah. when you when you <laughs> venture into the wrong part of town everyone else here yeah. is fine yeah they're, they're, they might be wacko but they're all like wacko together it's 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 that paul took that taxi ride that has thrown this whole night into limbo it's it's funny you bring that up because I was I was listening to to Scorsese talk about this movie and how he said like kind of the ba- like the, a lot of stuff of why he made it and it's like it, like uh there's there's a uh, definitely parallels to his life but he was he's like yeah he goes he goes when I was making this movie I just moved to Tribeca and Tribeca's right next to Soho and he was like I gotta be honest I hated it like but every, <laughs> but all the artists and thought it was cool to live in Tribeca and live in Soho but like I didn't want I I, I hated it. I, I wanted to move back to where I was at before, like on the east side, kind of like where where Griffin Dunn is. He's like, I didn't like having to walk upstairs. He's like, sorry. <laughs> He's like, I'm sorry, I'm spoiled. I want an elevator. He's like, and I hated that. Like, it was kind of the cool thing to do to live in this area, and like everyone else loved it, but he hated it. So when you're saying that, it reminds me of that. That like everyone around Scorsese in this and in, in his actual neighborhood is like, we love this place, and he's like, no. I can't deal mm-hmm. with it. I can't deal with it. And it's a very similar thing of you're saying they're on the same frequency when, when Paul is just completely just like off of it. Just doesn't yeah. know. I mean, he, Paul, Paul literally brings the entire neighborhood together against him. Like, <laughs> it's like, it becomes, it becomes Fritz Lang's M in the end mm-hmm. where everyone's just like going after Paul to, to get him. Five, eight, six, two, don't nine, don't. three, eight, Zero. (laughs) Now I have forgotten the number. What is wrong with you? Are you all right? I have had a terrible, terrible night. Do you understand? I'm just trying to entertain you. I don't want any entertainment. I'm sorry I did that. I'm sorry. I'm under... Oh God, I, I'm unable to get home tonight. You know, I can't get home, and I'm trying desperately to find a place where I can stay tonight. Just sleep. All I want to do is sleep. Uh, there is a place on Spring Street. I could stay there, but I don't want. Yeah, to. why not? Why not? What? Why aren't you there? There's a place on Spring Street. Go. Because a bartender who lives there, his girlfriend, killed herself tonight, and I think it's because of me. I see. That's out then. That's right. That's out. That is out. That is not a possibility. You talked about uh, the Odyssey and Odysseus's kind of journey and that story, and this this is very much tied to Greek mythology. Weirdly, this movie, it's like Scorsese said, it's like it's like a character going into the underworld, traveling to Hades, and not being able to get out mm. because it's like kind of like I think there was like a, a whole thing about Greek mythology of how like there's a there's a person who t- takes you into to, to the underworld on a boat. And if yeah. you can't pay the fee, you get stuck in the underworld. And that's essentially what happens when he loses money to pay for the cab. And he's now stuck in Soho. And in a different world, he's stuck in the underworld. And he's trying to get out. Um, and so that's that's very... And, and it kind of ends, again, it's like with that kind of huge mob. It's like they're all kind of... 
it's it's builds to a point and someone even kind of talked about how like in in uh in the odyssey how like usually odysseus is like meeting certain women along the way and they're all like befriend him and want to keep him there but he's always trying to get out and ends up like causing trouble with the characters he's with and that's pretty much what happens um in this movie and then one more thing i want to bring up too with this is like uh ebert brought up a very good point in his kind of great movies review of this film and he talks about how the the movie is very reminiscent of scorsese's journey into making last temptation of christ because it was like he said everyone told him the film was going to happen it was all going to be okay his agents like the studio it's all good and it was ripped out from under him and every person paul meets says they will help him and take care of him and give him money and get him home but none of them fulfill their promise and they're always succumbing succumbing to their own thoughts and problems Mm-hmm. And that's like what happened with Scorsese in in making Last Temptation. But okay, what's what's a one more scene that you you think of? I mean, I think that that final scene with Verna Bloom in the bar, yeah, where he's just like, I have to seduce this woman <laughs> to live. Just be, he's like, it's yeah, to live. And she's finally like, why are you talking to me? And he just has that like, I just want to live. <laughs> um i just want to live you know that whole scene it's just so again it's such a uh, every moment it's like you it's you don't know what's going to happen next like you think mm-hmm. you're, you're going into club berlin and you're going to expect as you see like this big kind of party and it's just vernon bloom there and now it's like we're going to make this more like kind of romantic and like i gotta like you said i'm gonna seduce this woman so i can get out of this place and then it's just like we keep going further down the rabbit hole in a way of like now we're going to the basement of this bar and now i'm getting put in a sculpture is the thing mm-hmm. and i'm stuck here um another scene i like is rosanna arquette has some good moments like i love the surrender dorothy mm-hmm. scene and griffin dunn's just like uh-huh like having to listen to the story uh-huh yeah yeah they're they're like past the point of no return at that point yeah and it's just like yeah. i got it figure out how to get out of here how to get out of this place how, how to get out of being with this woman well that's where you get that great that that scene in the diner is where you get the the diner owner it's, dick miller it's baby hours. dick like, miller different, different rules apply i don't know if that's my favorite title drop but it's up there <laughs> like it's a fun it's a fun title drop it's like it's kind of like after hours but i, I love it it works perfectly because it describes as like like after hours is it's it's almost like it's not just you know a reference to time it's it's like it's like a new place in space yeah and, and, yeah. and like mindset everything it is legitimately like he's been transported it, yeah been he's been transported to another world like exactly you know, kind of like folklore with like the witching hour and mm-hmm. and even like in in irish folklore like the fairy world there's yeah. this like if you were at if you were in a fairy ring at a certain time you could be you had to be careful or you'd be transported into this kind of bizarro fairy world and that is like exactly what happened to him sorry i i guess i'm really putting you through the mill tonight it's okay i'm used to it you know i still love him very much in fact we write each other every day naturally i don't like to talk about it Give the check. It's on the house. Really? Sure, what the hell. Different rules apply when it gets this late, you know what I mean? It's like uh, after hours. Hmm. Thanks, Peter. Sure, Marcy. Have a good evening. 
any of your favorite scenes you want to bring up only other one i can think to throw out is terry gar uh yeah go ahead yeah, no yeah. one no one plays i don't want to say it's like the same role that she plays in tootsie because they are very different but that just like just like a, a just crushed heartbroken woman it's like that that is her wheelhouse and she is fantastic <laughs> in both of those movies she's great and that's like she just has that turn like i love the scene where when paul's just like yelling at her like oh there she is and she's the one putting up the signs mm-hmm. uh, like track this guy down he's the burglar of their neighborhood again with with these movies with these type movies a lot of times and what i love about this was that you had these like things just happening in the background like yeah. in the background you have that someone is stealing stuff from people uh in the neighborhood probably cheech and chong is what kind of sets up but you don't fully know um they're just being robbed in the neighborhood and then i love just like the random cutaways like of the people in the other buildings mm-hmm. like it's like you have the one of like him seeing these people having sex and one and one thing and then later on he sees like a woman shooting her husband like yeah. it's just it's like got, these... that, got that great line of like i'll probably get blamed for that too <laughs> That is one of my favorite lines in this film. <laughs> one of my other, there, there's a couple of just like laugh out loud parts. I think yeah. him, him putting up the signs like dead person um, with the arrows going yeah. to her bedroom. Oh, going amazing. to her bedroom. Yeah. yeah. And when, when Terry Gar like comes after, he's like taking a breath at the door and she comes after him with the paper mache yeah. uh, paperweight and he just like slaps it out of her hand. Get that away from me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he just like Griffin Dungeons like it's like he has a facade and then at just some point he just like it'll just break in a scene. Mm-hmm. It's like it's or he's like trying like it's like the whole like the whole other scene with Rosanna Arquette where he just like where's my paperweight? Like he just like he wants to get out of there, so he just like mm-hmm. I I was promised a cream cheese or bagel and cream cheese paperweight, and I have papers that are running rampant over at my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> I need a paperweight to stop this. Let's move on to Onset Life. So filming for the movie began, it seems, in July 1984. And from the sounds of it, they shot this movie fast when compared to Scorsese's other projects. The film was practically all-night shoots and was shot in the Soho district of Manhattan. When describing the location, Scorsese said the area was dead at night and they were able to light two to three blocks at a rapid pace, shooting two or three takes and moving on. The film was important because it is the first collaboration between Scorsese and Michael Ballhaus, the director of photography that would, that would continue to work with Scorsese for a total of seven films. Uh, Ballhaus had gained fame in Europe for shooting movies for fa- uh, for famous direct, famous German director uh, Werner Werner Fassbender, and mm-hmm. Fassbender was known for shooting films at an ungodly pace. Um, <laughs> he shot with like lightweight cameras, available lighting, just like guerrilla style filmmaking so before coming to america ball shot 13 of fastbender's uh, fastbender's films in 10 years wow okay fastbender for those who don't know who are in, in the kind of like european cinema fastbender made about 40 films 40 feature films and he died when he was 37 that's like how many movies this dude made in his lifetime and he made like TV series, short films, like just a bunch of stuff. Um, so Ballhouse came over, and this is one of his earlier American films with Scorsese. Scorsese said he learned from Ballhouse that camera moves did not have to be perfect. They just had to be fluid. 
He said sometimes there would be a shake in the camera movement and Ballhaus would tell him that's okay because that's just emotion. Scorsese says the film is an, is an exercise completely in style because he wanted to show the industry that they hadn't killed his spirit. Hmm. He, he looked to Alfred Hitchcock for influence for many of the scenes, choosing to shoot a lot of close-up of objects, but he did it in an almost like parody version of Hitchcock because he shot a bunch of unmotivated close-ups, like making the audience think this object is going to be very important when in reality it wasn't important at all. Um, it's like the keys of like the skull going up. Like, he, he'll do like close-ups, these like objects, um, thinking it's a come back into play. And it never really does. Um, apparently there was one dangerous shot on set that worried everyone except Griffin Dunn. Apparently, uh, can you guess what shot that was? Hmm. No, no. The POV shot of the keys falling from the roof. Oh yeah. Because they had, they had to shoot. There was no CGI. You can't just like show like keys. They had, and he wanted a POV of the keys. So they initially fastened, uh, fastened the camera to a board and then threw it off the roof, off the roof, attaching it to a rope aiming for Griffin Dunn and they would pull the rope up to stop it before it would hit Griffin Dunn. Oh my God. After one take ball, ball, ball house soon realized that was too dangerous. Uh, and he created some sort of like fast crane move in order to capture the effect. And even Scorsese <laughs> was like, Oh yeah, he was risking his life. And Dunn was just like, didn't think anything of it. He was just like, let's go again. And didn't notice like that the ropes were like smoking when they had stopped it because it was Dude. it was just that it was that heavy. Uh, so yeah, uh, while on set, Scorsese also told Griffin Dunn to not have sex during the film's production because he thought the movie was about frustration. And he believed that it would help Dunn show that frustration in his performance if he didn't have sex. How how far removed <laughs> from Johnny Dangerously was he when he made this movie? Because that's literally his entire character in Johnny Dangerously. Oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> I don't have sex. I don't get laid soon. I'm going to die a year before a year. before. <laughs> <laughs> um, he doesn't know if he actually listened to him, but he truly believed it would have helped if he did. It seems the production finished finished without much of an issue. And Scorsese was able to accomplish what he set out to do, make a film on time on budget and make it personal, which was what he thought was kind of dying out in cinemas at that point. Again, very familiar. On the last day of filming, he turned to Griffin Dunn and, and producer Amy Robinson, who had optioned the original script, and he said, thank you for giving me back my love of making movies. And that leads mm. us into the aftermath of this film. Now, the biggest issue regarding this film, and I'm not sure when this actually was discovered, but I'm putting it here. Apparently, it was discovered that Minion's original screenplay was inspired by a monologue done by famed radio performer Joe Frank. Joe Frank did a bunch of like, I guess like kind of uh, just monologues like on, on radio, like doing kind of like radio shows in the eighties and seventies or wherever. Um, Frank's monologue also titled lies. The original title for the screenplay uh -oh. seems to have inspired the entire first 30 minutes of the film and his monologue. It included a chance meeting between a man and a quirky and sexy woman. Uh, the woman's offer to set the man up with her artist roommate's bagel and cream cheese paperweights. Oh, no. Uh, the, man, the man's late night call to her, uh, his cab ride to meet her, and several of her other occurrences. Uh, Frank would not receive screenplay credit on the film, but he would receive an undisclosed sum, so he would not sue the film. It seems the editing of the film, however, was incredibly difficult. The film's original runtime... 
and the first cut was two hours and 40 minutes. You don't say. <laughs> Scorsese shot a long movie. Uh, Scorsese said he played the cut for an audience and it just died on screen. It wasn't funny at all. So he realized they needed to sp- speed up the pace. Um, his editor, uh, Thelma Schoonmaker, said they cut nearly 45 minutes of great material from the film. Wow. She stated they cut her favorite scene out of the film, and they, sc- they cut Scorsese's favorite scene out of the film. Uh, he would later say that it is the one film of his where he believes he cut out the most usable material, but it just hurt, hurt the pace of the film. Where's the Scorsese cut? There's been, I think there's been like a few deleted scenes that have popped up over the years. So the hardest part of the editing was something that actually had been a, a problem since the film was in production, and that was the film's ending. The big reason is because they started shooting without an ending. Even when it came to the editing of the film, Scorsese did not know how to end the movie. He showed cuts of the film to Terry Gilliam, Brian De Palma, and Steven Spielberg for notes. Spielberg gave notes to beef up the ending mob chase because he said that you weren't really getting the perspective of the mob to help build the tension. And so Scorsese went back and reshot a few days of that. They could not find the ending of the movie. They actually shot several endings of the film, one of which was of Paul being stuck in the sculpture and being taken off by Cheech and Chong, and that's the end of the movie. Scorsese said he showed the ending to his father, and he angrily said, you can't let him die. (laughs) Another person that agreed with that sentiment was famed British director Michael Powell, who was serving as a consultant on the film. Now, Powell was one of Scorsese's cinematic heroes because he was a part of the influential duo Powell and Pressburger out of England that created such films as Black Narcissist and The Red Shoes, one of Scorsese's favorite films of all time. Mm Powell was dating and soon married Schoonmaker, Scorsese's editor. He suggested they end the movie with Paul ending up back at work to start a new day. Uh, the production, and I don't know if Scorsese or whoever, they had not choose to do it because Scorsese thought it was unlikely and hard to pull off in the whole story structure or whatever, but they soon realized it was the only ending that worked in the final film. Which is crazy to think because I think it works perfectly for like just that kind mm-hmm. of like here we go again back yep. to the mundaneness of my beige life um while the film was shot in summer of 1984 it would not be released until september 13th 1985 to the extensive editing process it seems uh it is the only film apparently of scorsese's to be released on friday the 13th at the time studios were afraid to release the film on friday the 13th because they thought it was unlucky when it was released the film was met with actually pretty good critical praise saying it was returned to form for scorsese after the failure of the king of comedy roger ebert gave the film four stars saying it is a film that is so original so particular that we are uncertain from moment to moment exactly how to respond to it the film would go on to win best feature film and best director at the first ever independent spirit awards 1985 um scorsese actually tied for best director at the awards with up-and-coming director slash directors but it was only given to one of them and that was joel cohen of the cohen brothers for their mm. directorial debut blood simple rosanna arquette would be nominated for best supporting actress at the bafta awards and griffin dunn was nominated for best actor in a motion picture comedy or musical at the golden globes but the biggest award that the film received was at Cannes film festival in 1986 when scorsese won for best director the film would eventually gross a total of 10 million dollars against a 4.5 million dollar budget it wasn't a massive hit like Taxi Driver almost a decade earlier, but it was a hit that allowed Scorsese to stay out of movie jail, which he greatly feared. 
He soon began to receive offers to direct more Hollywood mainstream films, two of which were, didn't know this, Little Shop of Horrors and Dick Tracy. Mm. But he soon decided to direct The Color of Money, starring Paul Newman and Tom Cruise, and a sequel to the 1959 film The Hustler and a favorite of the show. Yep. Today, as we've talked about, it is considered by many as one of Scorsese's most underrated films, and for years it was now available on DVD and was one of his lesser-seen films. It is a favorite, however, amongst film buffs, and just recently, as we talked about, or uh, outside of the show, was an inspiration for a recent episode of Ted Lasso. Mm-hmm. What was it called again? It was it was the... Beard After Hours. Beard After Hours. Uh, and I was just like, we went full tilt after hours here. And I don't know if this is still true, because this is a while ago, but while promoting The Last Temptation of Christ, Scorsese said is he said that After Hours is the one film of his he can watch over and over again because he finds it so funny. I can I can see that. So Thomas, um, what worked about this film? Uh, I, I've said this before, but I think this cast absolutely works. This this is yeah a very different cast for him, obviously. But and honestly, you be it's kind of surprising that he put this cast together. You know, it's it's not his normal wheelhouse as far as like these are all mostly comedic yeah. character actors. Catherine O'Hara, pretty fresh off of um, SCTV, I'm sure, mm-hmm. at this point. Um, Terry Garr, you know, like we said, having worked with Mel Brooks. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird cast for him to put together, but it functions so much better because of it. Yeah. Um, Cheech and Chong. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think if you stop the average person on the street and been like, did Martin Scorsese ever make a movie with Cheech and Chong? They would be like, no. No, never. <laughs> This yeah, this feels like his Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Does that make yeah, sense? Abs- yeah, one hundred percent. And and yeah. I, that's, I think that's why I love it so much. I love these directors who people think are like, oh, this is a serious artist. It's like just have some fun with it, man. And you can still. <laughs> and that's the thing. It's like all the Scorsese stuff still comes through. Like the Catholic mm-hmm. guilt is is here throughout. <laughs> um, and so like you can you can still make a Catholic guilt movie and have a blast with it with a bunch of comedians. Like Yeah, I, I I agree. Like it's like he it's just like so many great comedic actors just pop in this and it just feels like this is such an odd choice for him. Uh and it's still like it's it's just one of, it's this is a period, this and like even color of money, like it feels like two odd movies back to back in his filmography, but two like really, really great films. Um that get overshadowed by the the goodfellas and the king of comedy and the raging bulls of the world um but yeah it's like you're right he just he has fun and you can tell he's having fun and and i think most directors that are so talented like scorsese as you said they're they're best when they're having fun like mm. I, I think that way with spielberg i think spielberg's at his at his top as best when he's having fun um yeah. and that happens here um what worked New York City, baby. New York <laughs> City works in this movie. It's it's very much a time capsule of like what's about to happen because New York's about to change. Uh, once Giuliani comes in, it kind of re redoes uh, the city and kind of cleans it up. So like this is a very like time capsule of New York in the eighties, where no cell phones, no ATMs, technology is like can't solve your problems, uh, and it's just a, it's a great cinematography is phenomenal. Ballhouse captures it captures new york so well um in this film one other thing i'll bring up is the score i think the score is phenomenal um in this film by howard shore Mm -hmm. anything else um yeah like you said i think the atmosphere 
mm-hmm. is perfect. Uh, Thelma Schoonmaker, like, yeah, it, this movie is that's that's part of the reason, like we said, with that this genre, this subgenre works is like mm-hmm. time is so important in this mo- in these types of movies to yeah. make it feel like it is accurate to one night, and and that mm-hmm. is one hundred percent here, and the way things just. F- like we were talking about sequences just kind of flow into each other and everything keeps building and building and building to this pace where you do believe that a this entire neighborhood has turned on this this guy and he might die tonight Um, (laughs) i I think i think the editing is a huge part of that in this movie and i think she she does it she does a great job this is this is one of my favorites of their collaborations i think Mm -hmm. because that this is this is one especially that yeah, and to to know that they shave so much off of it because I do feel like sometimes she lets him get away with a, a little bit too much. Um, now, nowadays, you think? Yeah, or, but, uh, yeah, I think I think this is one of the best kind of pairings of their minds. A very legendary, probably one of one of the most legendary kind of like director editor pairings, and yeah. um, I think it works so well here. Yeah, outside of uh, his first film, who's that knocking at my door? His kind of like first like that and boxcar bertha his two like early films this is his shortest movie yeah and like i'm like as someone who loves the movie i'm now curious to see those other scenes but i know right? if i was seeing it for the first time i did not need this to be a two and a half hour movie it, it wouldn't it, it would it would have played dead it really would have played mm-hmm. dead um so yeah uh did anything not work about this film i think it's it's weird and maybe this plays in a little bit like you were saying to the stuff that was cut but every time i watch this movie i I think it's weird that tom does turn on paul without ever yeah finding out that paul was i keep expecting somebody to be like oh hey you're that guy i saw with marcy earlier or something like that just to motivate tom turning on him but it is it is a little weird he's like all right oh, yeah, he's there. Get, I, I know you're i know you're not the burglar i'll go get the, your keys for you and then he like walks outside and then you just see him being like oh no yeah that guy's inside like <laughs> i agree it just feels like an odd like what the hell man like mm-hmm. not nothing nothing made me like a, as because he doesn't know what all griffin done is done so like he wouldn't do that it's like he's just being like a dick basically when he does yeah. that <laughs> but if somebody had been like oh if you know yeah. if you just had a moment where he's like yeah i'm going to give that guy his keys going to help that guy out and they're like that guy i saw with marcy earlier yeah. and then he's like what what the hell is this guy up to yeah, yeah. it feels um, too, it feels too convenient it feels too convenient i agree with you especially on that. because you have such an easy reason to have him turn i think it's yeah. is what it like maybe it's low-hanging fruit i don't know but i i don't think it's low-hanging fruit i just think that it's you've set it up so perfectly and yeah. and, and paul knows that their whole you know Thomas is only ally in this neighborhood and that and all of that friendship is teetering on him ever finding out that that Paul was involved with Marcy. Um so yeah, it's 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 there, but maybe maybe it's just a misdirect, maybe it's just a MacGuffin, I don't know. But yeah, that's fair. maybe that's that fair was point. something that got cut in time, but it, it that that one's one every time I watch this I'm like like when they're in the diner, I'm like, "All right, like Tom's about like I'm just, it's just even like misremembering it." Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. Okay, Tom's about to find out, and then I'm like, nope, he just turns no, he on does, him. He just turns on him for no reason. Yeah, I agree. It's just like, what the hell, man? All right, alternate universe cast. Uh, not really a lot of names I could find because Griffin Dunn again was like it was producing, so he was always gonna be attached. The only name I saw, I don't know how true this is. So I don't know what role she was up for. Uh, but Lorraine uh Bracco from uh later Goodfellas was mm. up for was apparently up for a role. Don't know how true that is. 
but IMDb is what it says. Um, okay, film facts. I said earlier the film was the first collaboration between Michael Ballhouse and Scorsese, but it was also the first collaboration between Scorsese and film composer Howard Shore. And we actually talked about Shore last week on our David Cronenberg episode, because after working with Cronenberg in Canada, Shore began working on American films, and this was his second American film, I believe. It would be the first of his six collaborations with Scorsese. Um, The film has appearances by Catherine O'Hare and John Hurd, and just four years later, they would later be cast opposite one another as the parents of Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone. Mm -hmm. So five years later, five years later for Home Alone. Uh, last film fact, because there wasn't much on this. This was the first Scorsese film since the 1974 film Alice doesn't live here anymore. They did not star Robert De Niro. <laughs> uh, story questions. Do you have any story questions? Was it all a dream? Was it all a dream? That's a good question. That's that was. I didn't think that until that that video essay that I watched brings up the fact that it could be a dream, and that's a after hours analysis. Urban Wizard of Oz saying how it's like it's very much comparing. He's the Dorothy of the story. Mm-hmm. and he's trapped in a dream yeah and kind of the, you know kind of the way that it's always playing off of I, I think one of the great points they bring up in that video is like there it's all like the the threat of his childhood trauma is always kind of underlying throughout yeah, yeah. but is never fully realized and yeah. you know maybe that's just him being paranoid but it does feel like the way a dream kind of works out where you're just like oh i don't i don't want to see his, his childhood trauma is like seeing burn victims and so he's yeah. always like i don't want to see that and then it's just like it's never never happens he never encounters anyone who's burned it's just kind of always underlying but yeah well and the the idea that he kind of starts and ends his you know the movie in the same spot and also yeah. that, that that like maybe this is also just a, a note on like how vapid uh cubicle culture is but like no one notices that he's he leaves in plaster yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then he um, leaves. He leaves, and everyone else is working early. But then mm. it's like he's also like the last person to go out of the building. First one in, first one in, last one out. Um, yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting theory that I never thought of. Um, and it kind of talks about how, like what again, like that can happen in dreams where everything's going well, and then just like every something just happens wrong. Some something just unexplainable occurs that turns the dream into a nightmare. Because that's mm-hmm. the whole thing. He says the night. He says the the movie's a nightmare, uh, a nightmare of chaos basically. And so that would go with the theory that it is just a dream for him in this movie. So yeah, well, and I think I think Scorsese made this movie as a nightmare, regardless of whether or not you know it meant to be a dream film. or not. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I think Eyes Wide Shut is the same way. You know, there are these kind of suspended reality aspects to it. And I'm both, a doctor. I'm a doctor. That, yeah well in both there's this idea that like every person that they meet is like not not necessarily like physically attracted to them but like attracted to them in some way that it's like i want to help you i'm going to yeah you know let you into my life right now and that i think from what i understand of new york that's not usually the case if you walk up to somebody on the street um and and you know and it's specifically in eyes wide shut everyone is physically attracted to tom cruise but yeah. but in this one you know it's just that like everyone he meets wants to help him wants to invite him back to their home um and so yeah they're, they're, like reality is definitely suspended here and scorsese is aware of that whether mm-hmm. or not he intended that to just be that the entire film is heightened above reality or that paul is experiencing something outside of reality that that is something that he'll have to answer 
for himself at some point. That is a question I have. This is not a story question, but it is a a, a movie question. Okay. Okay. This movie, if this movie was was a movie that was misunderstood by Scorsese fans, maybe shunned for many years as seen as like less than some of his other efforts. Yeah. But has eventually come to be recognized as a movie that, you know, maybe flawed. Maybe yeah. maybe he's made some perfect films. Yeah. But maybe we should appreciate a flawed film even more. A rough around the edges movie. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. All I'm saying is, when is the when is the departed hate going to die down and when can we just appreciate the departed as the masterpiece that it is see what's weird is is there departed hate that's oh, the yeah. question there is okay I, I, it's because because i mean i know there i know there is but like what's weird is that when you get a letterbox departed is number four on his highest really? rated films yeah I, th- I think we're st- i think we're already starting to see but like immediately after the oscars you know everybody was like oh this is trash that's like He's made so much, so many good movies, and this is just like a popcorn, like thriller. And I'm like, yeah, it's great. Scorsese <laughs> made a popcorn thriller with like three of the best actors right now. Yeah, and it's amazing, and it's incredible, and it, it's so flawed, but it is the best, and it's hilarious. And yeah, <laughs> there we go. That's my I, love, I, love, I love Matt Damon's side thing. I love Matt Damon's story about like Nicholson adding stuff to the scene have you heard that story oh yeah yeah just like the, all the basically all the off the wall stuff his character does is like were his ideas because he talked about how like that was that won a bunch of the oscars because like it's because the movie had a plot depart the part it has a plot when most of the other movies are very just like character and story driven mm. when this has like a this has to happen or for this to happen and like a it's a it's a it's a domino effect basically and that's not always a part of his films. They're mostly character studies. Um, yeah, I think uh, it's coming around. I always loved The Departed. That was always one that I would recommend to people. Because someone's like, oh, I love Leonardo DiCaprio. I was like, have you seen The Departed? No. I was yeah. like, well, then go watch The Departed. Yeah, I was I was recently listening to, um, I think it was the the rewatchables did yeah did a, a revisit of the departed and they made departed. a great point they were like i if you really think back on it like this like we always respected leo but like the departed was when he was like oh he's not just like like we knew he could act but he was just like a good looking guy that could act you know he was doing <laughs> titanic he was doing romeo and juliet and then departed came out and we were like oh leo's going for it like he 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 did that and blood diamond the same year if i'm if i'm not mistaken it's all bling bang huh <laughs> out there it's all bling bling but here it's all bling bang <laughs> the best line movie line of that uh of that year catch me if you can i love but i i still it's, it's that and gangs of new york kind of in a different category but it's the run of aviator departed and blood diamond where you're like oh okay leo mm-hmm. wow you, yeah you look at his movie it's like it's like he does the beach in 2000 it's, it goes on side thing on dicaprio here it goes titanic Man, the Iron Mask, Celebrity, The Beach, Don's Plum, never released, uh, Gangs of New York, Catch Me Can, Aviator, then Departed. So, I, yeah, I think Aviator, that, that tandem of Aviator and Departed really kind of turns it for him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, score says you for you. Okay, any other questions you have, story question-wise? What happens? What happens to that mob? What happens to that mob in the morning? Yeah, like, where are they? Like, they just keep they chasing just him. Yeah. The sun comes up and they're like, "Oh, we feel kind of dumb." And they have, they have some ice cream out of Catherine O'Hara's uh, Mr. Softy yeah. truck. 
different rules, man. After hours, different rules apply. Yeah. What What does Lena Florentino do for money? Is it just art? Is that all she does? Oh, that's that. Thank you. That's that's another question. Uh huh. Does has Linda Fiorentino like studied under Verna Bloom? Like, why why is everyone so into paper mache? You know? Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, is yeah, there yeah. a relationship between the two of them? I mean, she does go to her club. She does. Is, is she like an apprentice? I don't know. But the question is, why are two people in this neighborhood super into paper mache? Paper mache um, and sculptures like of like people. It's a good question. Is Verna Bloom actually Linda Fiorentino in the movie? I don't know. Could it all be a dream? <laughs> um. All right, awards. Beatrice Strait Award, actor, actress in the scenes that kills it. A lot of people you can argue in this category because tough. Yeah, Bronson Pinchu. We haven't talked about him. <laughs> He's fun, but this is not his. This no, is I not know. his Beatrice Strait. When we do Beverly Hills Cop, we'll give him his Beatrice yeah. Strait Award. But I do love because this is so. Uh, I think relatable to especially the film industry, of like when. Um, Griffin Dunn like asked Bronson Pinchy like like what he wants to do or whatever like what, like what he's doing the job he's like oh I'm not gonna be here for long I, I want to open up my own magazine and do mm-hmm. this and I was just like, like Griffin Dunn just immediately like zones out zones like, out I was like that's before that's I was like that sounds like L A so who who do we have who do we have this here? is a tough one how how are we going to split Beatrice Strait and Annie Potts I think with this you have to have one scene okay just just one scene for Beatrice Strait and that's Will Patton. <laughs> Okay, I'm not, I, the only person I would throw out there is Dick Miller because I love that I love Dick Miller and he gets he gets the he gets the title of the movie. Mm-hmm. But Will Patton is I, I think Will Patton just because like again it's it's the I think what helps is that we know him as mostly from a famous kids movie, <laughs> and he and he's playing this dude and as like S and M character in this movie, also of Academy Award nominated film from last year, Minority. Oh, fantastic he's great what else is he big, in recently big will he's, Patton fan i saw him in something else recently oh he was he's he's in a, a yellowstone uh that makes sense he's he's got a yellowstone vibe yeah yeah that's who, that's who i'm I, I nominate okay will Patton is horse for being straight award this the guy yeah i'm horse i'm paul Hi. That was rude of you before, Paul. You really ought to be ashamed of yourself. I am. I don't know what could have come over me. Lack of discipline. All right, next up, Annie Potts X Factor Award, supporting actor, actress is the most memorable. All right, I've got three, <laughs> three nominations. Is it John Hurd, Catherine O'Hara, and Terry Gar? It is not. Oh, it is John Hurd. Okay. Linda Fiorentino. We haven't talked about her that much. So okay, that's, I, 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 that's fair. And Rosanna Arquette. Okay, this is a tough one. I think. I think. Kiki is such a tough character to play, and I think Linda Fiorentino like nails it. I I think it's a good part to either way because we haven't touched, we haven't talked that much about Linda Fiorentino or Rosanna Arquette here. So I think this is fine that we we spend a little time on them here. I think because they're they're on the front end of the movie, it's easier to forget because they're not part of the madness of everything. Mm-hmm. But I agree, they're both 
great in the role. Because but Roseanne Arquette has to make that weird switch of being like so charming and like everything's clicking. She has great chemistry with Griffin Dunn, and then she like has to not have great chemistry with him mm-hmm. is the thing, and that's yeah. a tough thing to do. And and she does it incredibly well. Where like she can, it's like she doesn't like. I don't like saying she becomes like crazy because it's not that she doesn't become crazy or, or come, she just becomes like every nothing's really clicking with them. Yeah. At a certain point. And I think that's that's something I brought up earlier is the idea that this movie like does never like really sides with Paul, even though we're watching yeah. from his perspective. Like she is very clearly going through something traumatic. Yeah. And he is being an ass about he's it. He's being ass, and he doesn't want to listen. He don't want to listen to it at all. He, he just wants to get out because he's like afraid. Well, it's this idea of like, he's looking for the perfect woman is kind of what comes off as. It's like, mm. it's like, that's what's like Linda Fiorentino talking about. Like, I have no scars. And it's like, oh yeah, you're right. Like, and then it deals in the whole burn kind of victims that he's done. And he like thinks Rosanna Arquette has it. And that's what like turns him off was the, the possibility that she has burn scars on her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then to Linda Fiorentino, your point on Linda Fiorentino. Yeah. She, it's like it's weird it's like this feels like like Florentino's bread and butter for a while mm-hmm. of like she's, kind of she's cold but she's flirty yeah and she's like friendly but also like kind of intimidating yeah it's like she's the bad girl that every guy like kind of wants to be with and especially in this in the 80s right now mm-hmm. it's like you got vision quest that's the same year which is not that good of a movie and then this this and then she does like last seduction 94 where she's like she plays a lot of those same type of characters where it's like there's something dark and ominous about her but she has this kind of just like weird comedic bent to her mm-hmm. i just like very like kind of flirty and everything um yeah it doesn't have many boundaries when it when it comes to 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 people and with paul so who are we going we got john hurd who we've talked about many times before previously lynn Florentino, rosanna arquette um I'm I'm gonna say Roseanne Arquette. I'll back you. I'll back you okay. on that one. I I think even though I love John Hurd's scenes, I think Roseanne Arquette has the trickiest part to do because you have to fall in love with her, watch Griffin Dunn fall in love with her, and then kind of deal with them falling out of love basically mm-hmm. in a very short time. And again, she feels like she has the least amount of scenes for someone who's like probably the second star yeah, in the movie. And she's incredibly memorable in the film. So yeah, Roseanne Arquette, Annie Potts, X-Factor Award. Husband was a movie freak. Actually, he was particularly obsessed with one movie. The Wizard of Oz. He talked about it constantly. I thought it was cute at first. On our wedding night, I was a virgin. When we made love, you've seen the film, haven't you? The Wizard of Oz? Yeah, I've seen it. Well, when we made love, whenever he, you know, when he came, he would just scream out, surrender Dorothy. That's all. Just surrender Dorothy. (laughs) Wow. Oh, instead of moaning or saying, oh, God, or something normal like that. <laughs> I mean, it was pretty creepy. <laughs> and I, I told him I thought so, but he just, he just couldn't stop. He just, he just couldn't stop. He just couldn't stop. <laughs> All right. 
Gene Hackman MVP award, person who carries the movie, director, actor, etc. It's a tough one. Uh, is, 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 is it is it tough or is it easy? I mean, I think I think because it's Dunn, between like, it's between two people. It's because yeah, Dunn also like developed the film. Yeah. I think he that gives him a little bit of an edge. Like I, normally, I would just go Scorsese, but like Dunn also produced it. That's fair. And I think Dunn, there's a weird. I don't want to say like when I say this, I don't mean this in a bad way. But Dunn is like a unconventional lead. Oh yeah. Does that make sense? It's like. I think if the other guy I think of in the same period is one of your favorite dudes, uh, Peter Rygert from uh, Oh yeah, uh, from Local Hero and uh, Crossing Delancey, like a guy who's like in kind of lead roles for a brief time and feels very just like not like a leading role guy, mm-hmm. but just like really does well in the leading role. And I think Griffin Dunn does that because uh, he kind of plays off like. He's probably he's more of the side like the sidekick comedy sidekick character, and with American Wealth in London or Johnny Dangerously, and here he kind of gets to play the lead, and yeah. that never really happens for him. Which kind of enhances like like we were saying with Eyes Wide Shut when you watch it and like everyone wants to like everyone's immediately attracted to Tom Cruise. You're like oh yeah of course. Then you watch yeah. this one and like all these women keep inviting Griffin Dunn back to their apartments and you're just like, what is going on in this world right now? Like, <laughs> he's, is he unattractive? No. Is he no. the type of guy you invite back to your apartment at 3 a.m.? Probably not. No, not. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But I, my argument to get my Scorsese argument is that this movie was way more important to Scorsese in the whole scheme of things than it was to Dunn. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if Scorsese that. fails, that's the whole thing. If Scorsese fails, does he make a movie again? Yeah. Yeah. The the eighties. He was he was really teetering through. He was teetering at this point. Pretty much the entire eighties, and then Goodfellas comes and, boom. Yeah. Really, just like solidify. Because he even said like, pretty much until like the two thousands, I think he always felt like he was teetering in some way on like, will I be able to make films again? Yeah, I mean, I think I think The Departed was his like first like real, real, real just like box office hit. Like, like when Color Color Money made money for him, it was it was his highest grossing movie at that time. But it was like fifty million dollars in the eighties, which was a big deal. Yeah, The Departed made basically three hundred million dollars at the box office, and that was probably like you said, probably his highest grossing film at that point. Because Goodfellas was like fifty, like forty seven million. Cape Fear was big. Cape Fear was 182 million, but that's probably yeah, you're probably right. That's like Aviator 200, but that, again, that's that's the DiCaprio effect, I think, with some of these other movies. Uh, but yeah, Departed is big, this big, huge hit. So are we saying Scorsese or are we saying Done? Yeah, I'll back Scorsese. Okay, I got you. His back was against the wall, and he went back to his roots in order to like kind of reevaluate. And, like that's a great like storybook like story, I guess, like narrative. It's like, I wish more directors went and did that. And yeah. like, hey, maybe I shouldn't just keep making $100 million movies. Maybe I should go back and just make a $20 million movie or a $10 million movie and see if I still have like the skills of like being a... And not saying that they're not, they're not telling a story with those with those big movies, but like just to be like, just to give a different variety is kind of the thing. Like I respect just, when a director goes and does that. And just to throw it out there, when you say going back to his roots, that is that is why I love Mean Streets. <laughs> know a lot of people that don't like Mean Streets. That movie is messy, and that movie is hilarious at parts. 
I agree. I agree. So, so Martin Scorsese, Gene Hackman MVP award. Congratulations to add to your shelf of all your, all your statues. He was just about to give me the money when all of a sudden his phone rang. His girlfriend killed herself tonight. Huh? Is that a coincidence? No, because the same girl who I came downtown to see was dead too. That's because they're the same person. They're both dead. I couldn't believe that. Now, he didn't know that I knew that I came down to, you know, his girlfriend. Because, I mean, he would have he taken my face and he would have just smashed it. Luckily, there was this girl who was there who witnessed the whole thing who let me use her phone. Really nice about it, too. Let me use the phone. That was it. Just use it. Pick it up and put it down. Pick it up and put it down. So now she's the one in the Mr. Softy ice cream truck who's trying to kill me. They're all trying to kill me. I mean, I just wanted to leave, you know, my apartment, maybe meet a nice girl. And now I've got to die for it, you know? Final questions. Uh, if this film was remade today, who do you cast? Um. Okay, okay. I've got my lead because I've seen him in a project. I was introduced to him in a project that was like just kind of a normal guy being going through like extraordinary circumstances. And this mm -hmm. was the exact opposite tone of what an After Hours remake would be. But... I think he would be very good in reacting to these things going on around him. And that's Riz Ahmed. <laughs> I like that pick. You're picking him because the night before I got you. Night of. Night of. Night of. Yeah. Yeah. Very different. Uh, but yeah, the night of, which is just like just this normal guy and like everything just goes wrong. <laughs> very, very dark, very stressful. Um, but yeah, I, I could see him bringing that that kind of energy to this, and I think it would be a lot of fun. I like Riz Ahmed in that. I like that. I like that pick. I like that pick. He he was in a movie. It's not very. It hasn't aged well because of its topic. But a movie called Four Lions, yes. where it's a dark comedy, and I think yep. he's amazing in it. Also uh, with um, Kevin Novak from uh, the What We Do in the Shadows series. Oh yeah. Uh, do you have anyone else besides? So you got Riz Ahmed in the lead. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Who else do you mm -hmm. have? Who's our Who's our Rosanna Arquette character who lures him to whatever area of town he wouldn't normally go to? First, okay, th this is the first thing that popped out to me. You know, she does more directing now. Olivia Wilde. Mm. I don't know why. I don't know why it I, came to I mind. I absolutely love Olivia Wilde as a one-off character in her. She that is my favorite scene from that movie. <laughs> she is hilarious in that scene. I think she's great. I th it's I'm not, I don't know about if, if underrated is the right word, but maybe as an mm -hmm. actress, I, th I think Booksmart's a, is a fantastic film. Uh, and so I think she's a great director too with that. But like, I'm also just like, I kind of like her as an actress too. Like, and, and we haven't really gotten, I think she can play that. I think she can play yeah. that. Yeah. I like that. Who's your Catherine O'Hara? I haven't, I actually, I have an idea who could be Catherine O'Hara. Hold on. All right. All right. I got a, I got some stunt casting for you. I was going to say Annie Murphy for Captain. I was going to say Annie Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> a little in joke for uh, fans Shit's of the Creek. original, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I think 100%. I think that'd be hilarious. I, I agree as well. I agree completely. <laughs> and then we just go Macaulay Culkin for Tom. For Tom. <laughs> Actually, Kieran Culkin. That feels that feels weird to that, say, but yeah, Kieran Culkin would be yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Macaulay. <laughs> just got market corrected by your brother but <laughs> who thought i don't know that he, he kieran culkin's still kind of got like these vibes like the thing with tom is you just have to like like he 
when when Paul first meets him, he just feels like a complete breath of fresh air. It is like yeah. finally somebody sane. He gets, he gets me. He understands. Yeah. Ooh, you know who's, who recently did a very good job at playing somebody like very sane uh-huh. and then just going unhinged with it? Sam Richardson. Oh, yeah. He actually be a funny, a funny uh, bartender with this. Sam, Sam Richardson or Kieran Culkin? Who, who we think? I'm going Sam Richardson. I, I like Sam, Sam Richardson, too. Richardson. Who do you do for Terry Gar? Just, okay just sam richardson kicking the trying to kick the cash register open i'm already i'm already laughing but it's like very, but he could just be like, he's very because you know like his voice like he can seem like flustered but he's trying to calm himself mm-hmm. i'm just like hey, what if i have a run what if i have a run <laughs> who's a terry gar in this moment hmm he, here's someone i will say i feel like i might go in an snl crowd snl kind of kind of clan here i would say cecily strong or vanessa bayer Ooh, Vanessa Bayer. Yeah. Be, I, I, Cecily Strong, I'm down. I'm down for Cecily Strong in anything. I love Cecily Strong, but this this does kind of feel like Vanessa Bayer's weird ha- wheelhouse. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. That was my first one. Okay. The kind of like weird flirty vibes is uh, <laughs> she's she's fantastic. But like, and also like of a different time where she's just mm-hmm. kind of like she could play that like just whatever role like what Terry Gar is doing. Okay, and yet, do we have a Lennon Florentino character? That one's a little more difficult. Tessa Thompson. Ooh, I like that pick. Thinking like 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 who is your like weird, alluring modern art friend? And Tessa Thompson is Tessa is Thompson's that totally that. Totally Tessa Thompson's totally that. I agree with you completely on that. Um so we, so that's a pretty good cast. So we have Riz Ahmed and Griff as Griffin Dunn as as Paul. We have Olivia Wilde as Rosanna Arquette's character as Marcy. We have Sam Richardson as Tom. We have Annie Murphy as uh, Catherine O'Hara's character. We have uh, Vanessa Bayer as Terry Gar's character. And then we have Tess Thompson as Le Fiorentino. That's a great cast. I'd Love watch it. that movie. I'd watch Let's that go. movie. Um, all right. Uh, next question. Does this film fit with any other genres? Whatever whatever the, the Odyssey. like like Road epic. trip movie. Yeah. <laughs> just like like an epic adventure um, yeah whatever whatever you would call that for sure okay like a very condensed version of that but like you said and Corsese 100 intended it does have that like mythical feel yeah to it um yeah i don't know what else like it, it the thing is it like briefly touches on all these things like it has yeah. moments where it's a thriller it has moments where it's a it you know it might end up being a little rom-com like yeah like a chance encounter rom-com but that's kind of the beauty of of Scorsese, someone who like loves film as much as they do handling this movie is that he's able to flit back and forth between all these different genres. How does this film fit with the 24 hour movie genre or the one crazy not sub genre? I think this is one of the best. I think that's why yeah. probably why we started with it. Uh, specifically within, like you said, like within the 24 hour movie, within that like one crazy night, and like we were talking about not necessarily using time as a ticking clock yeah. but using it as like how did this all go so wrong so fast i think this is this is one of the best i agree i think i think it's kind of your cream of the crop like while still underrated i think it's kind of like this is the best example of what you can do in this yeah and like we, and like we just saw with with ted lasso and, and a lot honestly a lot of other movies that fall within this genre mm-hmm. now after this movie came out it's extremely influential yeah and you know obviously with ted lasso what happened with that episode was they had already written the season and then apple 
came to them and said, hey, give us two more episodes. And they were like, well, how do we make two episodes that don't <laughs> mess with our, our season structure already? And so they did that Christmas episode and then they did this one. And it was obviously this, you know, somebody obviously had the idea of like, oh, what if we follow this one person for like one night? And they were like, oh, it's after hours. Like, yeah, it's just there we go. That's just how it goes. And and Ted Lasso being is a movie that or a show that like really has a lot of great cinema references. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Reference. I mean, we're going to talk about later this month and that's Magnolia. Yeah. Uh, and season two. <laughs> wow. We didn't realize we were just doing a month of movies well, that Ted Lasso, Ted Lasso was <laughs> I wonder if they're going to uh, parody our next week's film, Thomas. And what what's next week's film? I doubt it. I doubt it. <laughs> so this is weird. This this is weird to say, but um, there were so many movies I legitimately loved this month. I had such a hard time picking that I went with, I went with maybe the dumbest choice I could have gone with. But, um, <laughs> but I, I, I didn't want to do... Uh, um, uh, or Days Confused, but I did want to touch on that vibe that's more of like this this collage of of seeing what one night can mean to a lot of people all at once and for that reason we will be doing the film uh thank god it's friday which is a a disco era uh film that's that centers on a disco and all the different clientele of that disco in one night so uh, it's got deborah winger uh jeff goldblum and donna summer and we will be discussing that next week i never seen this film uh i'm excited to see it thomas i think you first watched it during it it was a criterion channel yeah criterion channel had it like a 70s style series and this this was on there and i was like oh young jeff goldblum let me check it out deborah winger popped up i love deborah winger um but it's fun it's 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 when i watched it and 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 it's not it's not perfect in any way but i'm i'm kind of surprised it doesn't have as strong of a cult following as some of the other films within this uh genre so that's part of the reason i wanted to to bring it up this month. yeah and, it, and it's currently streaming on uh, amazon prime so if you haven't seen it like myself go watch it uh before we listen to the episode so yeah i think that's all we have for this episode if you are a fan of the show and are or are a new listener make sure you subscribe to the nation podcast so that you stay up to date on all our new episodes you can subscribe to the show on app podcast spotify google podcast stitcher or wherever your podcast. And if you haven't already, make sure you write us a review on whatever platform you use when listening to the Cination Podcast. Yeah, any reviews help get the word out. It helps us know what you think of the show. And any other way, you know, sharing the show on social media, anything you can do like that just to spread the word would, would be a huge help to us to, um, you know, build an audience, hear more back from the audience, all that kind of stuff. And finally, don't forget to like, us on, like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all that good stuff. Uh, also, since the ho- I'll promote this here, we never do it. All since the holidays around the corner, maybe you should get that special someone some Cinnation merch. Hey, currently currently available on Redbubble, uh, t-shirts, coffee mugs, totes, all that good stuff. Um, so yeah, that's it on After Hours. Thomas, as always, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, and thank you all for listening. We hope to listen to more episodes soon. Bye.